hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that matters to ambulatory care pharmacy practice. My name is Stuart Haynes, and I'm the host of the iFormerX podcast. Now, today we're going to be talking about one of the fastest growing problems in developed nations across the globe, dementia. As our population ages, as people routinely live into their 80s, 90s, and, and increasingly past our 100th birthday, cognitive decline is frequently observed. Now, I won't say inevitable, because I think there are some things we can do to reduce the risk of developing dementia as we age. But nonetheless, for many older adults, cognitive decline is the primary reason they need to move to assisted living and skilled nursing facilities. Many of us who work in ambulatory care and community pharmacy settings see older adults in our practices who are aging in place. They appear to be able to manage their lives, like paying their bills, maintaining their personal hygiene, and driving their cars. But then one day, some episode or incident gets us wondering, are they really managing themselves well? Well, the gold standard for detecting whether someone has significant cognitive decline is the Mini Mental Status Exam, or the MMSE. Now, while the MMSE is fairly quick to administer, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to complete the exam, it's not self-administered. So, it can be challenging for a busy clinician to routinely perform the exam for screening purposes. There's an alternate test that's less well-known, the self-administered gerocognitive exam, or SAGE, which, as the name implies, is self-administered and perhaps easier and more efficient for clinicians to use as a screening tool to detect when someone has early stages of dementia. So when I saw a paper recently published in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy, which compared the MMSE to the SAGE, I thought this would be a good article to review for iFormerX. And joining us today to talk about this article and what to do when you suspect a patient has dementia are Rebecca Heath and Kimberly Zitko. Dr. Heath is one of my colleagues here at the University of Mississippi who provides care to patients in the geriatric clinic at the University of Mississippi Medical Center here in Jackson. And Dr. Zitko is at South College School of Pharmacy in Knoxville, Tennessee, and provides direct patient care at Trinity Medical Associates, which is a division of Summit Healthcare. And they provide a full range of primary care services to patients in the greater Knoxville area. Dr. Zitko is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist and has a keen interest in caring for older adults. So, Kim, it is great to have you back on the iFormerX podcast today. And Rebecca, thanks for being a first-time contributor. Welcome. Thank you, Stuart. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. So, Kim, I'd like to start with you. Before we talk about the study that you reviewed in your commentary, I'd like to just, you know, set some context here. I think all of our listeners know that, on average, we're living much longer than we did decades ago, and that dementia is an increasingly common problem in our society. So can you give us a a sense of the magnitude of the problem and what the consequences are? Certainly. So dementia is high on the list of concerns for aging patients and caregivers that I see in my practice. Patients want to age in place, as you were talking about, and age successfully. They want to maximize independence and maintain high levels of cognition and function. 
patients are living a lot longer in our country. And with the shifting population demographics, we're going to continue to see and manage more patients at risk for cognitive decline and dementia. For example, in the past 50 years, the United States has seen a dramatic increase in the average life expectancy from approximately 70 years to just under 80 years for the average American. And demographics are also shifting dramatically to see more patients in that 65 plus category, which is what we start thinking about for older adult care. Furthermore, it's becoming more and more common to see patients in their 90s and past 100 years old. Cognitive decline and dementia have a profound impact on patients, caregivers, and families. Some minor issues that may trigger thoughts of cognitive decline are forgetting appointments and important events, losing things frequently, and losing a train of thought and conversation, and just overall increased agitation. Cognitive decline is considered to be progressive with many underlying issues that can exacerbate the rate of decline such as overuse of medications or uncontrolled thyroid disease, which are two common situations that I've seen in my practice. Many older patients associate cognitive decline with a loss of independence. When patients progress to more severe forms of dementia and cognitive decline than a caregiver can assist with, a patient may need to be placed in a nursing home or assisted living. This is personally what happened in my family. My grandma was having significant dementia to the point where she was calling the police and could no longer care for herself despite having two caregivers, one that lived around the corner and was a retired nurse. A recent survey analyzed the top three reasons for nursing home care as a patient needing more skilled care, caregiver health and burden, and patients' dementia-related behaviors. Furthermore, over 50% of patients residing in assisted living and nursing homes have some underlying dementia or cognitive impairment. Caregiver burnout is also a significant concern when caring for patients in this space. And we won't be touching on that a lot today, but I do think it's worth acknowledging and mentioning the major role that these people play in care for these patients. So Rebecca, let's talk about the study that you reviewed in your commentary. As I said, the study appeared in the journal Alzheimer's Research and Treatment in late 2021, and it's entitled Self-Administered Gerocognitive Exam, Longitudinal Cohort Testing for the Early Detection of Dementia Conversion. And this paper is available as an open access paper, and we provide a link to it on the iFormerX website, but can you give us a brief summary of the study methods and the results? Sure, Stuart. The goal of this study was to determine if the SAGE exam was more sensitive to changes in mild cognitive impairment when compared to the gold standard mini mental status exam. To answer this question, the researchers performed retrospective chart reviews on patients with subjective cognitive decline, mild cognitive impairment, or Alzheimer's dementia, who were seen in the primary care clinic at an academic medical center. Every six months at their routine visits, patients were given the MMSE and SAGE exam to test their cognition. Approximately 425 patients met the inclusion criteria, and of those, there were 70 patients who had mild cognitive impairment that progressed to dementia. 70% converted to Alzheimer's dementia, and the other 30% converted to other types of dementia. They found the SAGE exam to be more sensitive to small changes in cognition in patients with mild cognitive impairment when compared to the MMSE 
Significant cognitive decline was also detected about six months earlier than the MMSE in patients converting to Alzheimer's dementia. In those who converted to non-Alzheimer's dementia, the SAGE exam detected changes a little over 18 months earlier than the MMSE. So this study is a little different than most of the studies we review on iFormerX because we're not comparing two treatments, but rather two different screening approaches. And first, I'm wondering if you can describe the two different screening approaches in a bit more detail so that people can understand how an MMSE is performed and how the SAGE is administered. And then what do you view as the key strengths and weaknesses of this study? Sure. I'm going to explain the SAGE versus the MMSE. So the MMSE is considered a gold standard cognitive examination, and it's a good comparator for this study. The MMSE is administered by clinic staff, and it does take around 10 minutes to complete. It's more sensitive to changes in moderate to severe dementia. It has a maximum score of 30, with lower scores being associated with more severe forms of dementia. The cut point for mild dementia is 24. Some confounders for results of the MMSC include age, education, and cultural background. The biggest advantage of the SAGE examination is that it is self-administered. It does take about 15 minutes for the patient to complete, and it's more sensitive to detecting those changes in mild cognitive impairment with conversion to forms of dementia. The maximum score is 22, with a cut point of 16 being mild cognitive impairment. The patients must have at least a sixth grade reading level and adequate visual acuity to complete the SAGE exam. Both exams then need to be scored and interpreted by a clinician. Overall, the study design had many strengths. They utilized the gold standard as an active comparator. They followed the standard DSM-5 diagnostic criteria for dementia, and the patients were followed over a duration of time that was appropriate for us to see disease progression. And they also had patient follow-up times at intervals that were similar to what we would see in clinical practice. In terms of limitations, this was conducted in only one academic medical center in a limited geographic area. Most of the patients had a high baseline education level, and there were very few minorities represented in the trial. Even though the MMSE is the gold standard, many clinicians are starting to utilize the MOCA or MINICOG as their gold standard for patients with mild cognitive impairment, and so it really would have been nice to see the SAGE exam compared to other cognitive tests in the future. So I'm wondering what the practical implications of the study are. Is the SAGE something that I can routinely use in my practice to screen patients for dementia? To whom and how often should I administer the SAGE? And if a patient has a, quote, abnormal result that suggests that the patient might have early dementia, what should I do about that? So when I discussed the SAGE exam with stakeholder physicians at my practice, it created quite a buzz. Clinical staff time is at a premium. In the current workforce climate, this tool is a very attractive option for really anybody to use. At my site, we also have advanced memory programs with one of the physicians. So he was in favor of administering this to all patients as a screening tool for that program. One of the major drawbacks of the SAGE is that it still requires a clinician to tally it. In my practice, we frequently use the MOCA and MINICOG, and it is part of our Medicare annual wellness visits. As such, it is preloaded in the EHR, and this makes it more seamless for administration, scoring, and sharing of results. 
I do think this exam could be an excellent tool for screening events in the community and community pharmacies. If a patient is screened as having some cognitive impairment or if the decline is detected from previous scores, it would be very important to incorporate this into care. As pharmacists, one of the best things we can do is educate about the role of medicines in this space and what they can and can't do. Also, preventing worsening of cognitions through reviewing medications that can worsen cognition. Um, And if things are detected with conversion into dementia, I really like to point them to well-known resources. I'm a big fan of the resources on the Alzheimer's Association page, the Live Well resources. I agree, Kim. This tool would be great to implement in community pharmacies. By 2030, all of the baby boomers will be older than 65, and the geriatrician workforce will not be able to meet this demand. If we could incorporate this tool into community pharmacies or even as screenings performed in the patient lobby area, it may free up some clinic staff administration time, and clinics may be more inclined to ensure that cognitive testing is actually performed. The results of this study provided insight on what are clinically significant changes based off of how the patient performs on the cognitive testing. For example, if a patient has more than a two-point drop in their SAGE score over a year time frame, this would be a red flag for significant cognitive decline and should trigger clinicians to take measures to slow the cognitive decline. So this should prompt further testing to determine if the patient has any reversible causes of dementia, if they need a medication change, or if we need to be taking proactive steps to increase their caregiver involvement. Unfortunately, age and family genetics are non-modifiable risk factors for dementia, but there are quite a few modifiable risk factors that we can impact, such as blood pressure control, diabetes control, managing depression, smoking cessation, eating a healthy diet, increasing physical activity, avoiding social isolation, managing hearing impairment, and ensuring a really good night's rest. All of these things can help reduce the risk of cognitive decline. As pharmacists, we can play a vital role in many of these modifiable risk factors and can ensure patients are receiving age-friendly medications that do not interfere with their mentation. We can assist patients and caregivers with memory strategies, such as pillboxes, enrolling patients into a medication refill synchronization program, pill packing, automated pill dispensing machines, or even simple tools such as setting an alarm to remind patients to take their medicines at the correct time. Well, Rebecca, Kim, thanks so much for being on the iFormerX podcast today. And I hope this study and our discussion today gets our listeners to think about how they might be able to actively screen some of their patients who are at risk for dementia and referring them for additional care. Do you use the SAGE already in your practice, or do you perform many mental status exams? Be sure to log into our website at iformerx.org. Every time you visit, only iformerx members can leave comments and use the interactive features on our website so you can become a member of iformerx. It's, it's free to health professionals and students who are enrolled in health professional degree programs, so sign up today. And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist like Dr. Zitko and I and would like to earn board recertification and continuing education credit, 
I've got some good news. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to produce their evidence-based practice and literature evaluation series. And you can complete the series for BCACP recertification credit. It's available online, on demand, anytime, anywhere through the American Pharmacists Association. Want to learn more? Just click on that link posted directly below the written commentary on our website. And lastly, a big thank you and shout out to Katie Kaiser at South College School of Pharmacy. Katie has served as the associate editor for iFormerX Now for many years and has contributed to our success in innumerable ways. From reviewing commentaries, recruiting authors and reviewers, reviewing and approving new members, and taking minutes at our editorial board meetings, Katie's done it all. This behind-the-scenes work doesn't get acknowledged enough, and we wouldn't be able to keep this community of practice up and running without you, Katie. So thank you for all you've done. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Be safe, my friends.